0: Hi, I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, healthy ish lifestyle architect, body joy seeker, and french fry activist. And you're listening to 100% healthy ish. Here's the thing as a naturopath and an intuitive eating health at every size health coach, I have seen every angle and end of the health conversation. And after years of clinical and coaching experience, I've developed a framework for feeling good and having fun that I know you're going to love. To be healthy-ish, we move beyond the boring basics and consider some-ish you have never thought of before when it comes to your health. Are you ready? It's going to be fun. Let's go. hello and welcome back to the podcast i am thrilled to be hosting a conversation with stephanie dodier of going beyond the food podcast stephanie um is a mindset expert and a life coach and she works incredibly hard to help women live better fuller bolder lives post diet culture i have been on her podcast going beyond the food several times we've had great conversations and a great relationship and when she noticed the shift in my work from food freedom body love to healthiest she was really interested and she had lots of questions like what is this and how did you start doing this this different you know new new um work and and then obviously I think some really important questions around, is it still anti-diet? Is it still body positive? And so we decided that we would have a conversation on her podcast about that. And I was on last week, the link is in the show notes, where we have a conversation, a nuanced conversation about this work that I'm doing, where it's come from, and what the purpose of it is. And then I wanted to host her so that we could get into some of the nitty gritty in our own lives and our businesses, which is very interesting, I think. When it comes to the anti diet, body positive world, um, you know, these movements have opened enormous doors for both Stephanie and I, um, personally and professionally, in our bodies and in our lives. But but what we're talking about here is the fact that there have been moments, I think, for both of us, um, when it's been difficult to have more nuanced conversation, whether it's within this work or other parts of our businesses. And so we wanted to really do that here today. To be honest about what healthy-ish looks like in our lives and in our businesses, where we agree, where we disagree, all of that stuff. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you want to catch the first part, I really encourage you to go to the link in the show notes, going beyond the food. I was on her podcast last week and we sort of set the framework for this conversation. And then, like I said, this is all about, um, you know, the details, what it looks like in real life and in our businesses. So why don't we just start there? Why don't we start with you introducing people to you and who you are, and we'll just go from there. Perfect. So I'm very happy to be here.
1: First of all, thank you very much for having me. My name is Stephanie Dodier. I'm a clinical nutritionist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and I mainly work with women who have been dieting for a long time and wants to stop that behavior to live their full life. Um, I have my own stories, and that's how I came to do this work, quite honestly. Um, I have a what I call a PhD in dieting. Have you ever heard of those?
0: Oh, yeah. I think when I met you, you were still at it. When I first was on your podcast, I believe it was still kind of a weight loss podcast. Wasn't yeah, it? that was like seven years ago. Yeah, is that seven years ago. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah.
0: So tell us um, about your PhD
1: my PhD. So I dieted for 25 years. So from the age of 12 to the age of 39, I was actively trying to shrink my body. Um, and that led to up and down in weights during this whole time. So I was either trying to shrink my body not caring about my body, gaining a bunch of weight, and waiting to go on the next diet. That was 25 years of my life. Therefore, I've done everything in the name of diet culture has come through my life. And then I went into the world thinking, went to the world of wellness culture, wellness culture, thinking it's not about dieting now. It's about my health,
0: right? The the new version, right? It's like the new version of dieting, yeah.
1: Well, it's righteous, now it's about my health. Like it's not
0: about me being petty about my way, now it's about my health. Right, it's so much more intelligent, it's so much more, you know, in style. Yeah. Like
1: Like, righteous, like I'm right now,
0: and and it's funny because now I, that's who mainly I work with women at that
1: stage is saying, but Stephanie, it's about my health. But I know all the thoughts behind that, like, you can't fool me, I've been there myself too. Um, And then I transitioned. So when you met me, I was in, not so much in in weight loss. I was in the world of bro marketing, where it's funny because I'm writing an email to my list about that. Like I was told by these guru experts that the only way to sell health was to promise weight loss.
0: I've been told that before too. Yes. Yeah. And there is some... there's some truth to it. Like there's a little bit, but it's not. But there's lots of ways. Well, there is some truth to it in yeah. the sense that
1: people like there is a category of women who want to lose weight, but they're not the people I want to work with anyway. Right. So, yeah, there is truth, Just like there is there's a truth that some people want Donald Trump elected. Like, and I don't want to. Like, like there's some truth yeah. to everything. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. mean it's my people. Hmm. So people want to lose weight and yeah, you, I was told that that was the way to do it. So I was in that phase called the no diet diet. I knew diet didn't work. I wasn't dieting, but I didn't understand how diet culture was a systemic issue, was an oppressive Construct and it was way deeper than just the food. It affected the way we do business. It affected relationships. Like it affected all the spheres of our life. And that I didn't get yet at that point. Um, so yeah. So that's my evolution. And I'm fortunate enough that about six and a half years ago, I met a wonderful lady called Kelly Deals, who's a feminist business coach. And we struck out because we're both two fat women trying to do business in the world made for people that don't live in fat body. We connected from there and we've been helping each other since then and she really helped me understand how diet culture, how wellness culture plays into the way we do business.
0: Mm, That's so interesting. And I know that this isn't a business podcast, but like, I do think it's interesting for people to talk about this kind of thing and to understand it. And I'll say that I agree with you. Like, like, so 2013 ish was when I first got into this work. 2011 is when I found it for myself personally. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I do agree with you that there's just like different people out there and our words will appeal to different people. But in 2013, like when I first started talking about this, um, it, like people didn't know what I was talking about so they were there's just a truth also that people were you know in those phases of change people were pre-contemplative at that point yes. so like there was a there was a feeling of like there's something wrong with this because I had that feeling for about 12 years Cause I had had orthorexia before there was a mm-hmm. name for it. I had been through naturopathic school. I remember, I don't know if I said this on your podcast, but I remember being in my residency and being, we did like um, rounds, you know, with our, with our different yeah. patient cases. And we were in a round talking about cases that day. And there was this woman, this beautiful, she was just so, she was like a rabbi's wife. She was just, she had five kids. She's just such a cute, like gorgeous soul. She had been coming to this, this um, clinic for maybe five to seven years at that point for weight loss. And she had tried just year after year, clinician after clinician. And I remember saying to that room, like, I wonder if maybe she doesn't need to lose weight. And it was like, all the eyes in the room were just like... like, what, but I didn't have the words for what I was saying. Yeah. And there was another time where there was a big diatribe that one of our because sometimes we would b- bring food to rounds and yeah. somebody brought timbits and one person in the room had a fucking excuse my language meltdown about the timbits because it was a room of naturopaths you know and For i remember sure. being like you can eat them or not eat them like you can make choices i don't think that we need to like talk about food like this but again it was just like even i didn't know what i was saying and i had none of the vocabulary to to bring it up so all of that to say like, I believe those of us who have been, and I'm not saying I'm a pioneer. I know there are many people that came before me, but like those of us who have been in the really early waves of this work have had to do an awful lot of educating. And a lot of people. trial and
1: error. Can mm-hmm. we
0: say that? Yes. So the trial of error. So at this day and age, if somebody's saying the only way to sell health is through weight loss, I'm like, well, that's insane. But at that day and age, I do think like... There were no, there were so many people that had no idea, like you said, not only did they not understand the depths of the problem, but many mm-hmm. of them didn't understand even the superficial aspects, like dieting, failing at dieting was still an individual problem for them. Yeah, it was not another systemic issue. And it makes
1: you wonder, let me, let me prick your brain on that, because I've been saying that a lot recently.
0: I wonder what we're wrong about right now. I think about it all the time. So one of the things that's coming up with me, and I don't want to like go too far down this rabbit hole, but um, one of the things that feels really top of mind for me is just the way that we communicate on social media. And I really felt like coming out of COVID, I sort of felt, and what healthy-ish is all about is understanding that the truth is never all over here or all over there. It's somewhere in the middle. And I really felt genuinely like as we came out of COVID I had this feeling that we had learned a bit of a lesson somehow about like it's not all one thing it's not all another thing that we can listen to people and we can have different perspectives and you know we're in the midst of this catastrophic war there are several happening there always are but this catastrophic war um and again so much othering of two very hurt people groups of people oppressed people and and you know one is hurting you know more like in some ways at this exact moment in time but just like this fighting and then I heard an example I was listening to a podcast just before we got on to record I was out for a walk and they were talking about like this social media thing and they were saying you know this woman was posting a recipe about cooking chicken and they were like you know the comments were so vitriolic about like the right way to cook the chicken. Do you wash it, or do you not? You know what I mean? And like, I don't know, there's something in here, this like, I don't know, this like, this, cre- like I, I, I'm i not saying I don't think people should have perspectives and I'm not saying I don't think that people should stand for things, but this like standing for things from a place of self-righteousness and shaming others, there's something there. There's So for me, it's a soup
1: what that culture work has brought to me is the awareness that you are never right. And the answer is always in the middle, in the gray. And I think if we can only have that perspective, we can, we're probably causing harm to someone talking the way we're talking right now, but I'm aware that it's potentially happening, but I just don't know what I don't know. And as soon as you tell me, I will like change. I'm open to that. Well, so that, I think I was, that's what's missing.
0: What I was thinking about on this walk home before we hopped on here was I've heard this saying, which I really like, which is like, and I'm probably I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to get yeah. it wrong. But it's like this idea of having, having strong conviction that's loosely held, which is this idea of like, Ooh. feel passionately about things. But staying loose in it, because what I see, like, again, with this war on social media, because there is a war happening in the Middle East and there is a war happening on social media and in people's attempt to continue to prove their point, they go further and further into these edges and they use more and more untruths to try and prove their righteousness. And it's like, that's where we lose, that's where we stop seeing people. Like, we're just trying to make a point as opposed to, like, and so that's this idea of like no have a conviction but stay loose with it. Be be ready to listen to someone else. Be willing yes. to change. Be soft. Yeah. It's one thing
1: again that this whole like last 10 years has brought me is softness. And softness to me is the most the place where you have to have the most strength. I thought that like upholding my belief on this side, like was made me strong, but in fact, I was weak because I couldn't handle other people's opinion. I couldn't handle listening to people because I was so stuck and, and using that black and white thinking to strengthen me and protect me. Like I was, I had a coach who told me like, you're like, my coach always told me that I'm very hard to coach. And it's because I I, I always, part of my pattern is going to the place of black and white thinking, like upholding a camp, either the left or the right, in, or, in order to protect myself. Hmm.
0: Well, I will say like, and we'll, we can dive more into this, but like in this healthy-ish work that we're going to talk about today, one of the hardest concepts is flexibility. Yeah. Like what we talked That's about- we talked about this on your your podcast, like this idea of one of the reasons I came to this healthy-ish place and why it took so long to talk about it mm-hmm. was even this all or nothing perspective in some ways in the anti-diet world, which made no oh, room, totally. which made no room for us to shed the toxic, those, those really toxic superiority aspects of wellness, but still maintain this ability to take care of ourselves in a place that's like in integrity with our values and who we as individuals want to be in the world, right? It was like, we had to somehow sacrifice all of that in order to be in this anti-diet camp. And be all the way in. Yeah. Otherwise it was like, you were kind of like, I I genuinely for, for probably two years felt like there were aspects of the work that I was doing as a truly as an anti-diet naturopath that I felt like if I talked about them out loud, I would, a traitor to the to the cause to the movement yeah
1: well I, i i do that in my work because my work has shifted recently well in the last three years to a lot of mindset and the power of our thoughts and feeling our emotion and having to do this work as a result of the socialization of diet culture And I've had people who told me, you're asking people to do work, but the problem is diet culture. I'm like, yeah, I know. But screaming that the problem is diet culture is not going to help people. It hasn't helped me. What has helped me is change the way that I think and acknowledge the socialization. And yeah, put in the effort to change the way
0: that I think
1: and process
0: all that trauma yeah because you know again one of the things that came out of our realizations about diet culture and then a couple of like not a couple but i'd say a few years like within that for me was a lot of understanding about other systems of oppression and racism and this idea that 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 we as a culture we view bodies in this neo from this neoliberal lens which is this like individual responsibility you are responsible for your health you are responsible for your weight and if anything is not conforming you are to blame for it. And it's like the the big thing that we learned that we were pushing back against was that and learning how to view things from a systemic perspective. But then again, this, just following the same conversation, we, we can't only look at it from a system no, perspective because there the system is made up of individual humans who are not necessarily doing well <laughs> within it, you know? and like, and so it's like, yeah, we need to be pushing back against diet culture and other systems of oppression. But then you are also, allowed to take a look at what's happening in your own body and mind and life and work on that in a way that feels good to you yeah absolutely and i i think because i coach some people that do activism and there's
1: a lot of suffering and pain in activists yes because they're doing the work from a place of rage in the face of a response to trauma and they become so powerful when they start changing the way that they're encountering the injustice starting to think about it differently and starting to take care of their own self their activism power quadruples tenfolds because they're doing it from a place of love and compassion instead of anger
0: and that was my story as well yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Cause that's what I, that's what I see all the time. And that's where, and let's talk about healthy-ish and what it is and all that stuff. But, um, that's where this came out of was seeing women, um, rebelling against diet culture and how beautiful that was in the beginning and how much freedom it afforded them. But if they went too far down that road, they were rebelling against themselves eventually. So like, it's like, I can eat everything I want. And that's amazing. Yes, of course you can. But if you're mm. eating everything you want and you your hormones are out of whack and your energy's low and your iron's low and you're pre-diabetic and you have no ability to make conscious choice for yourself, like you're not actually hurting diet culture (laughs) you're hurting yourself and you're actually reducing like you said like reducing your ability to fight back against the problematic aspects of it you're just stuck in another on another end of the spectrum right so what was your what what's what's your experience of that
1: can I tell a personal story can I illustrate that with a personal story so um when I encountered the term diet culture about Eight years ago, and I started to look into intuitive eating, and then I realized that my relationship to exercise was as toxic, quote unquote, as food was. I was counseled at that point to put exercise on the side in order for me, like, to not try to like address everything at once, right? So we focus on food first, then we move. Then, because I live in a fat body, moved it into body image work. But I have a period of my my life almost over four years, where I didn't move my body at all. The only movement I had was from the couch to my office in the same house to like my car, and that's all I did. Right. And I started to not feel good. Mm -hmm. I started to feel like it became difficult to literally get up the couch. It became difficult for me to go up the stairs, and I was out of breath. And, it, and I'm fortunate, like I'm privileged to have very strong gene in the pool of chronic condition. So like my blood test was somewhat decent on all the markers because it's just my privilege to have these gene in my pool. But physically, energetically, mentally and emotionally, I wasn't doing well. And it came out of me not moving my body. But at the same time, I had to go through a period of a year of like changing the way that I thought about exercise because the only way that I knew to think about exercise was to lose weight. So I went back, like I acknowledged that part of the reason why I wasn't feeling good was because I wasn't moving my body and I could, if I wanted to, and this is the power of choice, I could decide not to move, and that was okay. I was still a worthy person if I decided to not move my body. But I could also decide to move my body differently. And after exercising my power of not moving my body for four years and seeing what it created for me, I decided to go back and moving my body, but I did it from the ground up. So I spent almost a year doing workout on Zoom in my house without any weight, just moving my body with a anti-diet fitness coach. And what we worked on the most was my mindset around exercise. Mm-hmm. Like she designed my program for the first six months. I want everybody to know that, to only workouts for 20 minutes once a week. Mm-hmm. And then I asked she didn't never said to me, "Okay, we need to do more." She waited, 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 waited until the day I said, "I think I'm ready for more and then we went to twice a week, and that was another six months of me like handling all the thoughts and all the objection my brain had and thinking about weight loss and is my body changing and dealing with all that crap to really neutralize the way I was thinking about exercise. It took a year.
0: Mm, I know I went through that. I went through that a very long process with exercise as well. Cause I was um, just addicted to exercise. It was just, and I love movement always will, but I had to totally renegotiate my relationship with exercise as well. Yeah. So I exercise my power
1: of choice, giving myself the choice to not do anything. Not by forcing, I have to, I have to, I have to, I sat within, you can choose
0: to not do it and see what happens. And and to me, there's like, um, yeah, it it reminds me of something that I talk about all the time, which is this idea that social conventions are only social conventions (laughs) if we don't examine them. So what you did was you examined the social convention. The social convention is exercise makes you a better person. It will control your body. Yeah. Um. You're a, a better human being if you do it. And if you do it in these specific ways and you challenged all of that, you burn that bitch to the ground. I, I'm like swearing so much today. I don't know why, I yeah. don't, but like you burn that thing to the ground and then you rebuilt it in a way that felt good to you, inviting the pieces back in that are actually true to you. And to me, this is like, the full healing and i think that when i um and and for anyone who is interested in hearing more about what healthy ish is go and listen to (laughs) stephanie's podcast which went live last week where we really she's asking me like the the way that this came about was she was like you know we had we had been in each other's circles for a long time and she's like wait a minute what she popped into my dms like wait a minute what is this healthy thing and we had a big conversation about it but like Yeah, for me, that's what it's all about. It's about understanding that full healing in this work isn't the part where we just reject diet culture. It's when we have that ability to take a look at what we want to invite back in on our own terms. And for our own goals. So people often ask
1: me, so now fast forward almost three and a half years later, my trainer does my program sends it to me via an app i don't need any like i don't need her to motivate me like i'm fully in a position to like run the show and she specializes into what she does is creating patterns of movement whatever but my goal for moving has nothing to do with not get diabetes or like look tone it's like i want to fucking travel until i'm 75 years old Mm -hmm. and i want to be able to visit a medieval town in europe that doesn't allow for a car and walk the whole damn thing for like 20 kilometers at 65, 70 years old. So you know what? Let's get like strength right now because I want to be able to do that for the next 25 years. That's why I exercise.
0: Yeah, same, same. And it's my stress management. It's how I process. Well, there you go. And I'm like, this is the yeah. thing that's gonna keep me from having a heart attack. And again, no, no moral obligation, but like no. I I wanna protect like I, it's in my family. I wanna protect myself and like. It feels good. It like sets the tone for my same thing. It's like totally different. But when you have that different motivation, there's so much more softness in. I exercise as much or more than I ever have in my life, but I don't have this rigidity around it. There's no anxiety. If I miss it for a day, I'm not a bad person. It doesn't make me angry and moody and, and, you know, it's just, there's so much more softness in how long I exercise. I I can listen to my body as I exercise. Stop if I need to, there's just the softness is there, right? Yeah. And so I'll go
1: on to say, so exercise was one. And then looking at the other component of health, because being obsessed about dieting and wellness culture and about food and nutrition, like mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health were not a priority for me. So I had over the last six years to like, I voluntarily toned down the food because intuitive eating and all of that, I toned down exercise. I'm like, what else contributes to the anxiety I have? What else contributed to having severe panic attack? There must be something else. Yeah, And now I open up the conundrum of things I haven't looked at for 25 years. And then I started to work on those things. And so really fully embodying, living
0: the four bodies of health. Mm, Love it. So if I were to ask you, you know, again, going back to that previous conversation we we had where Mm. we talked about this spectrum of like, being in the zone of all no's and restriction and dieting yeah. and disconnection for our bodies. And then people move into this beautiful place of yeses and allowance, but sometimes, sometimes still not fully connected, you know, like, yeah. like oh, yeah. saying yes, learning how to enjoy and be in this slightly different, really feminine energy to this place of what I call healthy ish, which is essentially like discernment and burning all those old structures and systems to the ground and then inviting things back in on your own terms. Like where do you think you are in this process? Um, and any examples of that, of that, like discernment, I mean, exercise, you just gave that example is, it? yeah, you know, it's beautiful. Hmm.
1: I would say, <clears throat> so first of all, I want to acknowledge a privilege. We're talking about <clears throat> oppression earlier. I want to recognize the privilege that I live in. And I'm a single woman, I'm a rich auntie, yeah. I'm single, mm-hmm. I have no kids. Yeah, you've got time. <laughs> <laughs> Your time, lots of time. So I would say eight out of 10, because I've got like, when you think about the time I'm not working, everything else is like, focus on me. So mm-hmm. I've done a shit ton of work in like the mental, emotional and spiritual health. And I like the thing that I live in mostly healthy-ish life. But I have some, like, I have some quirk in some
0: places mm. that I know exists. And I'm totally okay with it. Like, what can you get? Do you want to give an example of that? Okay. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. I was right. I wrote some notes to people watching this. I
0: think we all like have the- that. I think it's great to talk about it. Because I also think that it's okay to recognize that there are certain things that might be with us. And we just have to like, it's like that psychology philosophy of like acceptance theory, essentially, like, like some pieces, we just have to come to terms with this is part of who we are now. And anyway, so you take it away. So acceptance, that was the first thing I wrote,
1: acceptance of the limitation of the relationship with some member of my family. Like, it's just there is some like, in order for me to have a relationship with these people in my family circle, We had to decide on subtopics that we're not gonna talk about. Instead of like, no, I wanna be able to talk about everything and let's unpack all the crap and blah blah blah. No. Like not the other party wasn't ready. So we're gonna take all these topics, we're gonna park that to the side, and we're not only concentrate on this, and we're not gonna spend more than six or eight hours together.
0: Yeah, it's big. There was a lot of relationships. I've had to do that with several um family member like family members certain friendships even that I value but are um and there was a lot of grief in it because I think that there was some part of me that believes like if I was really evolved and if I had really healed everything up I would be able to but the thing is is like we're all on different paths and we're all healing up in some areas and not so much in other areas and vice versa right so
1: acceptance of how the relationship in my life impacts my mental and emotional health and accepting some limitation to it would be a thing. The other thing is I still have some pattern of eating that some people would consider disordered eating. So for an example, I have a pattern of eating when I eat chips, for an example, that some people would call binging. Like I can eat an entire bag of chips and I'm completely okay with it. Yeah, like I, it took years for me to be able to like experience this behavior and not judge it for what it is. And I'm okay with it. And I'm okay if I eat these food and I binge on it because I don't associate binging with something negative in my case.
0: Yeah. And I would would even argue that, that there's a part of me and you can, you can, maybe I'm getting this right, or maybe I'm getting it wrong, but like, there's a part of me that also considers that, um, normal eating to a certain extent, like Ellen Satter's definition of normal eating is sometimes we eat too much. Sometimes we don't eat enough. Like that, like I do that too. It's just you know I don't do it every day all day I'm not doing it in reaction to anything it's like sometimes I binge too much Netflix sometimes I'm on my phone yeah. too sometimes I you know don't get enough sleep sometimes I eat like three pieces of cake when one would have been enough you know like but I feel I feel like the difference now is if it starts to become a pattern instead of, responding with restriction and, and shame and blame or whatever. I'm just like, why am I, (laughs) why why am I eating three pieces of cake every night and waking up with a stomach ache? I'm like, oh, right. Because I have no time in my day and I'm overworked and I'm stressed out. And like, that's where the shift needs to happen. And the food will just resolve itself. If a certain extent, you know what I mean? Like, but just, I think it's, I think there's something beautiful there because I think that one of the other things that came up in this, like kind of like the stuck middle point for some people with intuitive eating, which some people have described as like quasi intuitive eating um, is this idea of perfect intuition, (laughs) whatever that means. And I'm like, you're not the Dalai Lama. You're not the Eckhart Tolle. Like very few people, if anyone is a hundred percent intuitive, if it means being completely in touch with their ultimate physical Well-being, whatever that even means—I don't know. It's just—it's all like I'll call. I'll call bullshit on that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I call bullshit because my intuitive eating in that moment tells me there's something else going on in
0: my life. I would agree with that, and and it's like it's telling you that you are coping with, like you said, if we're considering all the aspects of health, it's saying like, hey, you're there's something you need emotional mental social like we're about to go into I mean I'm not sure exactly when this is going to go live we'll we'll probably be right in the thick of it but into the holiday season and I work with women all the time and we talk about this is a season of the social aspect of your eating in life right it is about connecting to ritual and and culture and family in whatever way we're still connected. And it is not like the main focus of the season is not your physical body and that's okay.
1: And can I add to this? The holiday is the place where shit comes up. That hasn't been buried for like sometimes years. Like you haven't seen this person and all the storyline associated with this person comes back up. And I believe that we each, one of us has different coping mechanisms. Yeah. Some people go running. The only difference between going running and eating a bag of chips is that running is socially acceptable. So we don't. And idealize people. Right. Right. Where, where me with the bag of chips, like I'm judged for that. But if I remove the judgment because of the, all the work that I do, then the eating the bag of chips or going for a run is exactly the same thing. It's a coping to something else.
0: The other example I'll give, because I think it, it highlights it, I think also is just like we really, um, Glorify drinking. And again, I love to have a Mm -hmm. glass of wine, but we glorify drinking in our culture. And even though we know there are things about it that can make us feel quite bad, that isn't good for our physical body, whatever, there's something that's like romanticized or glorified about that. And so if someone chooses to cope or post or talk about having an extra glass of wine on a Friday night, that is also seen in a, in a more, I mean, it's shifting, but like in a more favorable light than eating the bag of chips. When in reality, it's like, you know,
1: But again, look at our culture, I don't know if you've noticed that in your circle, but this zero drinking thing, I I don't know what it's called, like they they have this wellness, it's a new trend in wellness called abstinence, abstinence Abstinence and drinking. Yeah, Yeah. like, why do we have to take the drinking problem from like you drinking every night of the week to zero?
0: Yeah. Well, well, but while also like smoking drugs every night or doing something different, like it's like, but there's all this moralization. Like, I agree with you. The story is shifting around alcohol and it's becoming like, if it's not in a circle where it's glorified, it's absolutely reviled. It's like, it's like the worst thing ever. And, but then those people are also doing other things. They're coping in other ways. I mean, some of them, I guess are fully sober, but like, there's many who aren't, and like they're Whoa. just coping in different ways, and like I would agree with you, I feel like same thing and i and I've had that conversation with many women recently where they're like like actually starting to feel shame about having a glass of wine on a Friday night, and I'm like, yeah why why why
1: yeah why yeah. because
0: they like when you start
1: investigating, they're in this new abstinence slash wellness culture world where now the the ultimate way for you to prove your health is not to drink at all. For me, the
0: ultimate demonstration of your health is being able to live in the gray zone. Inflexible, right, right, right. Like it's, and it's also this. It, it really plays into that desire we have for like for self control. That really, yes. it's almost like a very religious, like like I I am a good person because of my restraint you know, yeah. Righteousness, the righteousness of restriction. Yeah. Moral superiority, all that. Yeah. So I guess the moral of this episode probably is this idea of the gray zone of the softness Mm. of the power and the actual strength required to figure out what your own gray zone is for you and to do the work, to figure out what that is and to be in acceptance. This is the other big thing, right? To find it and to be in acceptance of who we are. Because there are many women I work with who find it, but they still want to feel bad about the fact that they do like to eat takeout drive through food once a week or twice a week that they want to feel bad about the fact that they like a glass of wine on the weekends, you know, it's like figuring out what your gray zone is and finding a way to get cool with who you are like that's real authenticity and it's gritty and it's tough and it's hard. Yeah, it
1: is. Of all the work that I've done on myself, from the 25 years of dieting to like wellness culture and intuitive eating and body image, accepting myself, accepting my innate unconditional worth has
0: been the quote unquote hardest work. Yeah, like I like to eat a whole bag of chips sometimes and I'm a perfectly worthy human being.
1: And I'm gonna say it out loud.
0: Right? yeah yeah and i'm
1: not and i'll do it in front of anybody
0: <laughs> like this is
1: mindset work people and it's like i don't know why accepting that you are worthy unconditionally i don't know for, for you but for me it's been tough
0: well like we've been, i we've just been, got here
1: a couple of years ago
0: yeah we've been deeply i i feel like i'm still a work in progress like I I think it's just been so deeply conditioned that we have to earn it some way that we're always looking for, for ways to earn it and how yeah. we're not and all the ways that we're failing at earning it, you know? I know. Yeah, it's tough. Okay, thank you so much for being here. I want to ask you three quick questions just to wrap sure. up the episode. I always ask people, is there yeah. anything that inspires and motivates you when it comes to health and wellness currently? I would say
1: inspire me would probably be how i blow my own mind every day in my physical capacity at 47 versus 10 years earlier
0: Mm, that's cool
1: like aging for me i i would say externally would be the whole ageism and anti-ageism world like right now this is really inspiring for me helping myself being liberated I'm getting older right. and being totally at peace with that. Yeah. That's
0: cool. Like not about looking That's probably younger. my next work, like, yes. like in a couple yeah. of years yeah. from now. Um, anything in the health and wellness world that just like you're rolling, your I mean, it sounded like we were just talking about the alcohol thing. Anything else in the health and wellness world that you're like, oh my God, I just can't with this at the moment.
1: I would say the whole sugar thing.
0: Yeah. Like I am so past the sugar is
1: evil thing. And it's so like, it's been the story has been so long fuck people
0: give it up like uh, come on agree, agree 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 every time I hear it I'm just like what I oh, feel so dated there? to me kind of yeah, yeah I'm just like really are we still there um any behaviors beliefs practices that might not look healthy from the outside yeah. but you're like like it was like that authenticity that that conversation we were just having like that you know is great for you. You're like, I just love this. It's part of who I am. I love it. I enjoy it. No shame in my game, but it might not look healthy from the outside.
1: I would say the amount of time I spend looking at my thoughts. Mm. Right? Like literally I can spend an average an hour a day investigating my thoughts and looking at my belief. And I know for a fact, that some people think like, is that not another form of mindset culture or wellness culture or diet culture? Like, are you not going over the top? But for me right now, it brings me joy and it brings me wellness.
0: Love that, love it. Okay, thank you so much for being here. Do you wanna tell people where they can find you and your work?
1: Well, the first place is go to the other podcast, Going yes. Beyond the Food. to yeah, listen I'll, to link, I'll link to
0: it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then the second place would be my website, www.stephaniedodier.com. And
0: that, okay, start from there. Everything yeah. I do is in there. Beautiful. Thanks so much for being here. I always love our conversations. Yeah, I think we could talk for hours. I think so too. I wish we lived a little closer. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.